Podcast One Production. G'day, Adam Spencer here. Welcome to another instalment of The Big Questions. How Stuff Works is an international knowledge phenomenon, a website that explains how stuff works. And the website begat a podcast, Stuff You Should Know, hosted by Josh Clark. Well, Stuff You Should Know is coming to Australia and New Zealand for the first time for a series of live shows in early September. Look up Stuff You Should Know live on the web for all the details. I was lucky enough to chat to the amazing Josh Clark about the history of this information megalith, Stuff You Should Know on How Stuff Works. So I wanted to know how how stuff works, works, and stuff I should know about Stuff You Should Know. I was lucky enough to speak with Josh Clark. Josh Clark, hello and welcome to The Big Questions. Thank you, Adam. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it big time. Now, a lot of people know you uh, individually, but also in your work with uh, Chuck Bryant with the Stuff You Should Know podcast and live show. So I'll start by getting you to tell me a couple of things about yourself. Josh, tell me how how does Josh work? <laughs> That's a terrible question. That's the worst question I've ever been asked. Um Let's see. How do I work? I work a lot, um, it turns out. I've actually been working. So we've gotten to this point with Stuff You Should Know where you know we just hit 10 years. Mm. We've put out a th- over 1,000 episodes so far. And um, we've gotten to this point where we have this rhythm down. So now Chuck and I find we have like more time during the week. So we're doing like side stuff, solo stuff. And one of the things I'm working on solo is um, it's an, a podcast on uh, existential risks, right? Mm-hmm. So so there's this idea that we're starting to enter this period in human history that's going to be the most dangerous period that any humans ever lived through before or ever will live through after. And if we can survive it, then our species is going to survive for billions and billions and billions of years and mm. hop from one universe to another and all that. Um but we have to survive the next 100 or 200 years, and it's going to be a little dicey. So my my little side project that I've been working on is all about that. So I say that to tell you that that is what, how Josh Clark works these days. Stuff you should know, and then existential risks pretty much seven days a week. Okay, and so and if, if my question had been instead, what's stuff I should know about Chuck? <laughs> oh, man. So Chuck is... He has taken on this role at uh, at work as part of his side project. He has a side project, too, called Movie Crush that's definitely worth checking out. He has, in the history of our show, we've had maybe five, six guests on. And Chuck decided to go and do this, um, this show, Movie Crush, where he... He interviews people about their favorite movie, and that's the that's the subtext of the whole thing. And that's mm-hmm. the guys, I should say. The subtext is that he's actually pulling out stuff about their life, you know, because when you have a favorite movie, you have memories attached to it. Mm-hmm. You've seen it a bunch of times with a bunch of different people. So there's this really great um, potential to interview people based on this guise of interviewing them about their movies. So that's that's this this side project that he's been pursuing. So he's mine's about the end of humanity. <laughs> Chuck's been showing his own humanity lately. Oh, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> Let's wind it back a few years before stuff you should know. Of course, you were you were a senior editor at How Stuff Works. Now, millions of people around the world have interacted with that 
website. It's a, it's it's entered the the lexicon now of how stuff works. How does that that website work? First of all, can you give us some numbers? Can you put some scope on how big an enterprise how stuff works is? It's it's kind of neat actually. So how stuff works started out as a little website in a guy's kitchen, and the creator's name, believe it or not, was Marshall Brain. Like mm. that was his real name, and he sat uh, down as he was a college professor, and he sat down and just started writing these articles in his spare time, and he was putting them up on the web, and then little by little he realized like he could do this as an enterprise, and he started. Uh, publishing more and more of these articles, hiring more and more people. And before he knew it, he had a company. And this company changed hands time and time again. Um, And it's gone through great times. It's gone through lean times. But it's still just kept on putting these really great researched, really interesting articles out on the web. And eventually, around about 2008, the people who were running the show said, hey, not everybody sits around and reads articles on the web all day, which I find bizarre. Indeed. But some people would rather like, you know, hear things. So can we take these articles? Is there a way we can take these articles and change them into something called podcasts? And this is at a time when there were a lot of people on the planet who never heard the word podcast. And I hadn't listened to a podcast. I knew about them, but I hadn't actually listened to one yet. And um, I was tasked with our producer, Jerry, to figure out how to do this. And we kind of slowly started little by little. And then Chuck came in and it just started to, to really gain steam. And it, it gained quite a bit of steam pretty quickly, actually, and has just been kind of like progressively growing uh, ever upward since. And what's neat, it's been done almost entirely by word of mouth. Like we, there's there's not much marketing money has ever been spent on the podcast. It's basically like, hey, check this out or somebody mm. will leave a good review on, on Apple Podcasts or something like that. I, I find with the podcasts, it's sometimes easier for the listener to, to have a, their head around how you've put it together. I was listening just this morning. You, you replayed the great um, How Does a Mirror Actually Work? Mm-hmm. podcasting. Great, fascinating stuff. But you could hear in that you were saying, okay, there was this article, then I read that, did you read this? The interesting thing about a website um, piece is it arrives in its final form. When I see it, right. it's all done and polished up, and I probably have no idea how much work goes into getting it ready for me to read. Take us through a How Stuff Works story. Where does the idea come from? Is it research, checked, triple checked? How does something like that get to the amazing final product that we all see? So they usually start out with a meeting where the the writers and the editors will get together and they'll they'll everyone will throw out some ideas and it's they're interesting meetings because everybody's trying to one up everybody else with their ideas, right? So some really good topic ideas come out of it. Um, and then those will get assigned out to, uh, for a long time, we were working with mostly staff writers and it's gotten, it's spread out to further and further to freelancers. And most of the people in house now are editors, assignment editors, copy editors, editors. And, um, there's just this back and forth, right? And still to this day, this has been going on since I started in, in 2007 at How Stuff Works. They'll send out an email and it says, you know, I think they call them the initial approach. And the initial approach 
uh, here's the here's the topic that the, um, this writer is going to be writing on, or that I'm going to be writing on. Um, here here's what I've come up with so far about this topic. What does everybody else think? And then everyone who has anything to say or ever heard something about that topic, or um, says maybe you should check into this, or have you ever thought about that? This whole email flurry starts, mm. and then the person whose job it is to either assign the uh, the article or go write the article has a big pile of jumping off points to go research. They research it. Um, they write a draft that comes back a couple of times back and forth with the editor and the writer, much to the writer's chagrin, I can tell <laughs> you from firsthand experience. Um, and then ultimately it gets published. Um, what's neat is that over time, it still evolves. Like sometimes I'll find something that we're working, we're using like an old House Stuff Works article t- for a podcast. And I'll find something that's either out of date or wrong or should be should be maybe written differently. Um, and so these things, I'll email one of the editors and they'll, you know, go make the change or whatever, go do more research or assign it again if it's really in depth. And so these these articles aren't static. Like you said, when they arrive, they're fully polished and vetted and, and well-researched and written, but they're not they're not done. They're not. They're mm-hmm. not in glass. You know what I mean. They're ever evolving still, which I think is great because, you know, our 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 knowledge is ever evolving as well. Have you ever had a case of the person the article's about getting in touch with you and actually clarifying something, or someone stepping in from outside, or the you know, you know the celebrity name saying, "Look, I'll write the second half of it for you," or something like that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, there actually was this really interesting um, experience I had. I wrote an article on how DB Cooper works. And uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar over there with D.B. Cooper, but he's like this um, criminal superhero here in the United States mm-hmm. who robbed a plane and jumped out the back of it yes. at like 12,000 feet, right? So With, with, with the, the backpack full of money and no one ever found him, then they thought they'd found the body, etc. Precisely. I don't think they ever thought they found the body. Like they've never found anything except for a little bit of money. Like he just vanished, right? So um, I wrote this article and uh, the, uh, probably a couple months after I wrote it, I was checking the comments. And one of the comments was from one of the suspect's wives and the suspect had died and his wife wrote in and clarified some of it and said, yes, you generally have this, but you left this part out. It was really, I I think I jumped up and started telling people like, holy, everybody come look at this. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is one of the DB Cooper suspect's wives. So that was, um, that was really neat. It was neat to, you know, when we put stuff out, we're, connecting with other people. This is somebody connecting back to us, and it was pretty cool. What, what do you think is the role these days of, of researched, accurate storytelling, whether it's a, a, a web piece or a, a podcast in this age of alternative facts and, and mm-hmm. you know, choose your own adventure truths? What, <laughs> what, what, what role does How Stuff Works play? You know, um, I think it's more important than ever, but I think that it's always been important. You know, the 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 idea of alternative facts and fake news and all that, it's it's huge and it's crazy how widespread it's gotten. But that's always, it's been there to some varying degree all along. Um, even when being smart was kind of cool, there was a period in the like 2007, 8, 9, 10 where being smart was pretty cool, right? At least in the U.S., <laughs> So how stuff works is like riding pretty high, 
but we've been there before and you know we're still there after so the the importance i think of the website and of what the the website's doing not just how stuff works but any any organization that does what, what how stuff works does which i've seen it described as explanatory journalism which is really getting in there and showing all sides in a as as much of an unbiased manner as possible um that's really valuable because Basically, no one's doing that these days. And if, if you ask anyone at How Stuff Works if they're a journalist, maybe one out of 10 will say, yeah, I'm a journalist. The rest will be like, no, you know, I'm a writer uh, or a researcher or an editor or something like that. But they they are. We are journalists to, to a, a very important degree because we're researching stuff and we're trying to present it in an unbiased way. And almost nobody's doing that. I, I'm not sure what the situation is. Uh, with news in in um, Australia and New Zealand, but in the United States, it's it's quite dire. I mean, it's all very, uh, it's it's everything's partisan based, even the mm. stuff that purports not to be. But most of the the media stopped pretending that it wasn't partisan one way or the other, and um, there's it's just very difficult to get actual news here. And it, it it's it's fascinating and a bit scary to watch from a distance that American news journalism story at the moment. You say that even organisations that purport to be free of bias are sometimes painted as being very biased. How is how stuff works and stuff you should know seen? Do people just accept you guys are completely free of political bias or are there even some parts of the body politic in the States who think you're part of a vast lefty conspiracy to prove climate change or the, the, the vanguard of the dying conservative right? Right. So, um, no, there's nobody who thinks we are just c- completely down the middle, right? I mean, we have our own opinions. We're human beings. Um, <clears throat> we try to reserve them as best we can. But there are people who see us as um, super political, meaning like like politics should be carried out over here. Stuff you should know is like their relief from that. And there's plenty of stuff that that you know, we do a lot of articles. We did one on pyromania recently. We mm. we um, we did one on hoarding. We've we've done tons of stuff that has nothing to do with politics. But just by virtue of being alive in the 21st century, that stuff <laughs> kind of trickles in. Th- that seems acceptable to everybody. But when we do a an overtly political podcast, like something on um, voter suppression or something mm. like that, which is you know techniques to keep people from voting. Um, it really brings out the ire in a lot of people. And some people will threaten to stop listening. Some people probably actually do go through with stop listening. Some people say, I'm really glad you tackle this topic because everybody else who's talking about it is totally biased. At least you guys are trying not to be. So every once in a while, we'll come across a topic um, that's highly charged politically that we're like, this is important. We need to talk about this. So we'll tackle it. But um, some people view us as an oasis away from that kind of thing. Um, and, and they get a little upset when, when we traipse into it. More big questions with Josh Clark from Stuff You Should Know very soon. So the, the podcast, Stuff You Should Know, you mentioned this earlier that when you first moved to the podcast model, You'd never listened to a single episode of a single podcast when you first thought, let's try and do one myself? Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, <laughs> in my defense, there was only like 10 at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was nothing like today. But um, no, I hadn't. I hadn't. And uh, I, I, I think that actually kind of helped us in a way that we were figuring this out from a pure 
a pure place, you know, like mm. go, go try doing this thing that you, you can kind of invent on your own. The fact that we had corporate sponsorship definitely always helped because it didn't just have to be a passion project that we were doing in our basement, which I think is probably, um, fatally punctured a lot of really good podcasts, mm. um, along the way that we've never heard of. And at the same time, the, the corporate people who own the company at the time never said do it and then do it this way. They said, go see if you can do this. Like literally the phrase low hanging fruit was used to describe the <laughs> expectations of this project, right? <laughs> so we were allowed to, to try and fail under the radar. Um, and then when we started to kind of get our, our rhythm and, and, and get it right, um, it was still kind of under the radar, but that word of mouth thing started to kick in and it spread more and more and more. So um, it was, uh, it was, a, a unique, especially as far as podcasts go, a unique way to mm. uh, originate and develop. And, and you, you've certainly found your rhythm. You, 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 you've done over 1,000 episodes, as you mentioned, of Stuff You Should Know, and that would put you in very rare company in podcasts around the world who have that, that number. But you've also got Stuff You Missed in History Class, Stuff of Genius, Tech Stuff, Brain Stuff, Car Stuff, Food Stuff, dot, dot, dot. It, it's, it's a multimedia empire in itself the whole stuff brand mm -hmm. right oh, oh very much so i mean like it is uh, actually it's like its own network basically it's up there with um there's a couple of other podcast networks that have um the the numbers that that how stuff works has um or stuff i should say these days um that and they're typically public radio uh, organizations. So as far as just a, like a private company that puts out podcasts, you, uh, how stuff works is pretty much uh, as, as numbers wise, at least up there as, as much as anybody. So part of it is by the number of podcasts we have, but part of it is by the, how dedicated the listenership of every single one of those podcasts is like, these aren't casual listeners listening to it. Like every podcast has like locked in, tuned in fans that would go bonkers if somebody missed a publishing date. <laughs> if, if, if I can pitch one to you in that you've got stuff you missed in history class, stuff of genius, tech stuff, brain stuff, how about a podcast on how to successfully end a failed relationship and it's called Get Stuffed? <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah, not bad, eh? Get Stuffed. I'll cut you in on 5%. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the live shows. You're bringing the show to Australia and New Zealand. I was listening to a piece of you and Chuck reflecting on when you first went across to doing the live format and just how exciting that first live show was. Was it in Toronto, perhaps? Yes, it was. Yeah, we did two in a row, back-to-back, -back, same night in Toronto, and then a month or two later, we did two in Vancouver. And how did that... What, take us back to that first moment walking out on stage and trying to do this thing live. It was, um, ap like, Chuck was a pretty nervous, but I actually had stage fright, like, like clinical stage fright. Mm. Um, and I actually worked it out over the years through just going out on stage. So um, I have no memory of going out on stage that first night because I blacked out. Um, wow. And, and I think bla I didn't actually black out, but <laughs> I mean, I was probably pretty close to it to tell you the truth, hmm. but, um, it was, that probably lasted 30 seconds. And then once I realized everybody was clapping and was really glad that we were there, uh, it just kind of 
it kind of sunk in that people had actually taken money from their bank accounts and given it to a ticket vendor in exchange for a ticket to be in that show to see us, right? Hmm. And once that really sunk in, it was it was really, really cool. And it, I mean, that's one of the reasons we still do it is um, just to get out there and, uh, well, I guess take from our fans <laughs> <laughs> that energy, you know? I've, I've read a description. The show is uh, Stuff You Should Know Live is like the podcast, but arguably 10 to 20% funnier and sometimes a little bluer. Now, I, I note I, I note that you say arguably 10 to 20%. You're not promising 10 to 20% funnier, so no one can ask for a refund if you're only 7% funny or anything like that. You but, and I are on the same wavelength, Adam. <laughs> We've got this figured out. <laughs> and a little bit bluer sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the live show... Um, just by virtue of the fact that, you know, we have uh, a drink up there on stage with us because I don't think we, I don't know if I would have ever gotten over my stage fright if I hadn't been able to take a drink out on stage. We just get a little more relaxed, a little looser. And, you know, we're both just a couple of 40 year old dudes. So yeah, things slip here, there, they go down a, a blind alley that we probably would not have gone down on the, on the podcast. And it's, um, the podcast is very much family friendly, and we're we're um, we try to keep it like that as much as possible, right? which is basically saying a hundred percent of the time. Um, with the live show, it's just kind of evolved over time. Where no, like your your kid that you brought is going to hear a little bit of cursing, but we've hashed it out over the years and decided that this is like. Um, have you ever seen the movie Goonies? So it's like Goonies level cursing, basically, which I think all parents can agree. Every kid eight and up can hear like Goonies level cursing or innuendo or that kind of thing. So um, it is a little bluer for sure, but it's nothing that like somebody is going to show up and, and just never look at us the same. You know, we're still ourselves. We're just ourselves even more. You know what I mean? You've performed in the US, Canada, the UK, uh, and I, I, I find it fascinating even when you when you hear podcasts live across the US, you'll hear different audience vibes from state to state. Sometimes you've done country to country. Do you have any expectations about Australasian fans? Have you given any thought to what a typical Australian audience might be like? Yes, uh, tremendously, and I'm um, I'm grateful to all the people who've written in. We're very much looking forward to coming there. I'm terrified of these drop bears that you guys have. Um, so we're coming despite that hazard, apparently. Yeah, I, I was I was surprised you scheduled to come in because you're here in early September, and that is pretty much peak drop bear season. They are absolute feral at that. Well, that's when they, that's their mating season, so they really do. They'll drop on anything at that time of year. Right, and then just tear your head clean off, or your scalp at least, or something. Right? Well, you don't. You shouldn't be too worried. If Chuck still has that beard, okay, he's he will take most of the drop bear heat for you. Okay, good, good, good. All right, as long as it's him. <laughs> yeah, no, we're one of the. This is kind of fun because we're getting to actually like kind of slowly immerse ourselves in Australian and New Zealand culture. Um, so 
and as far as we've gotten so far is to make sure that, yes, they are two different cultures, right? There's Australian culture and there's New Zealand culture. Mm-hmm. But um, to to just kind of like get to, to luxuriate in Australian culture and figure it out and New Zealand culture and figure it out, figure out the humor, figure out the jokes. Um, we did something similar when we toured in the uh, UK. Um, we realized like there are probably a lot of misconceptions we had of the UK that we should probably figure out before – we started talking on stage and we're both kind of starting to do that same process with you guys as well. So we uh, fully intend to psychoanalyze every single person in Australia and New Zealand beforehand. So we have a good, good understanding of you guys, but um, we've kind of started off on the wrong foot purposefully, but uh, it's just kind of our, our sense of humor in our promos on the podcast for our tour. We mentioned that we're very much looking forward to meeting Crocodile Dundee mm-hmm. and possibly enjoying a Foster's beer with with him. Very much so. And some people have written in to say like, whoa, 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 don't actually order a Foster's beer. And we're like, no, we, we're just kidding. We know enough to, that Foster's is fake. We know Foster's isn't actually real and you guys don't like Foster's. So <laughs> we've, we're starting off on the wrong foot, but we actually know that we're starting off on the wrong foot, I guess. Hopefully by the end of the tour, you will understand how Australia works. We can't wait to have you and Chuck down here. Josh, thank you so much for your time today on The Big Questions. Thank you. We can't wait to be there. Believe me, we'll see you guys in September. This episode of The Big Questions, as always, was produced and edited by Alex Mitchell in the Podcast One studios. Series producer Caroline Pegram and the theme music provided by the good people at Uncanny Valley. If you want to hear more Big Questions answered, go to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app or look us up on iTunes. I'm Adam Spencer. I'll be back with some more Big Questions soon. Big Questions.